0: What's up, Rhodes family? Great to see all of you. Great to have all of you watching online. My name's Chad. For those of you who haven't got a chance to meet yet, my wife Dawn and I are the pastors here. What a great day already. Ten water baptisms. Fantastic. So great. So great. So proud of each and every one of them. And when I say water baptism, because some, one time I was telling an individual, say, hey, we're having water baptisms today. And they said, well, is there another kind? Why did you say water baptism? And I said, actually, there are. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're on our series called Holy Spirit, a Difference Maker. And we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives and who he is and what his purpose is in the Trinity and, and we're trying to break down some details of it. So we're going to be talking about that today. So if you get your Bibles out, you can also get on your YouVersion Bible app and there's sermon notes available there. There's sermon notes in your worship guide. Pull those all out. And let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Woo! Just excited about the Bible. We holler when we open the Bible because we're more excited about that than we are anything else. Holy Spirit, a difference maker. Holy Spirit, a difference. Holy Spirit, a difference maker. Now, today I'm going to be talking about Holy Spirit, a different baptism. Now, maybe you're like me if. I grew up in church I never heard any messages on the Holy Spirit. I never heard one message ever preached about baptism in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know the point. Actually, a church I grew up in preached against it and against those types of things, so we didn't do that. So I was very ignorant of that type of thing. I just had no understanding of it. And then as I got older and I began to study the Bible for myself, I began to have some questions about certain passages of Scripture. And I began to say, well, why, why does the Bible say this? And they would say, well, we don't believe in that. I know, but why does the Bible say this? And, I, and I, I just started being curious and wanted to know for myself and wanted to understand more for myself. And so today we're going to be talking about that. And what it... What about the Holy Spirit baptism and what does that mean? And and I want you to understand this first right out of the gate. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a denominational message. It's not Pentecostal. It's not charismatic. The Holy Spirit is not just for Pentecostal churches. It's not limited to any name on the door. We're going to use a lot of scriptures. I encourage you to bring your Bibles today, and I encourage you to follow along. I've got a lot of sermon notes for you because I want you to see that it's not one scripture taken out of context, that it's all throughout the Bible. There's more places than I've got time to preach to you today about baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to give you as much as I can in the amount of time that we have available. So I want you to see it from a biblical standpoint. I want you to see it from a place that's not trying to figure out, do we believe this as a church? I want you to see in your Bible what Jesus says to you. And it's very important, maybe if you're like me, this was one of my experiences and one when I started hearing people talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, I began to say things like, ah, I don't, I don't know if that's for me, because one of the things I did It's because I began to look at the lives of some people that told me that they had the Holy Spirit, and I thought, your life's not any better than mine. you know, like, man, your your life's jacked up. Why are you saying I need that? And the problem is we need to distinguish between the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit come in fullness, ready to go. Loaded, locked. They're locked and loaded. They're ready to go. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are there for you. In fullness, But the fruits of the Holy Spirit have to be grown or developed. So don't dismiss the significance of a gift of the Holy Spirit simply based on the fruit of someone else. Don't look at someone else's fruit and decide whether you need the gift that they say they have. You need to apply the gifts of the Spirit to your fruit, not to someone else's. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than someone else. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. So it's not about distinguishing or dividing the body of Christ. This message on teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not to point out how certain churches are better than or different from. It's just to teach the Bible that I really don't care about the name on the door. I just want to know what does the Bible say for me? And the only problem we run into, and I've run into this people when I teach them things or if they ask me questions, they begin to take them through the Bible and I show them certain things and they say, yeah, I understand that, but I'm just a blank and they fill in the blank with their denomination. And I'm like, wait a minute, why'd you say you're that? Aren't, aren't we just Christians? We're all followers of Jesus, right? And we've all got one Bible. So I, I don't want to be limited by what my denomination says is okay. I want to be limited by what the Bible says is okay. It doesn't mean I have to leave a denomination. You can stay right there. You can stay right in that church. But we need to be open to everything that God has for us. What does the Bible say? And just dig into it and go for it. Because I don't want to ever have something uh, that that I'm missing out on and what God wants to do in my life. And there was a time in my life when I came to understand some of these things in the Bible and I saw what the Holy Spirit did in my life. I said, How come I've never heard this before? I felt cheated, so all I'm going to do is just introduce something, again, in the sake of bringing really people uh, up to what God wants them to do, not bring anything divisive, or sometimes the teaching on the Holy Spirit has been thought to be controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. We're just going to see what the Bible says, and then we got to deal with it. It's one of those deals. You, got, you see what the Bible says, and you got to like it or lump it. The Bible says forgive and love your enemies. You don't have to like it, but that's what it says. You don't have to say you agree with it all the time, but it says bless those who curse you. Well, I just don't believe in that. You don't have to believe in it, but that's what it says to do. Same thing. There's certain things about the Holy Spirit. You may not grasp all of it. You may not agree with everything 100% right off the jump, but you at least need to see it's on the pages. And this is what happened to me. I started reading on the pages. I've never heard that before. I don't know that I believe that. But I kept finding it here, 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 here. Okay, now i got to deal with it. And that's what I pray God does in our lives today. Have you found Hebrews chapter 6 yet? I'll give you a long time to find that. So does God have a different baptism for me? Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6, Therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God's God permits. Look in verse 1. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. So here's what he's talking about. The things we're getting ready to break down in this passage in Hebrews, these are considered the elementary principles of Christ. Elementary just means the commencement, the beginning, the launching point, the basics These are the foundation principles of Christ that we're getting ready to see. These things that the writer of Hebrews says, these are the elementary things. Now he says, we want to leave the discussion of the elementary things. Notice he says, leave the discussion, not leave those principles. He says, leave the discussion because he wants us to go on. Elementary school is awesome, but not if you're 19. If you're walking the halls of second grade at 22, and you're not a teacher or faculty member, it's going to be a little bit different. It has its place. And that's why all of these things are great that have their place. But he says, I don't want you to stop there. I want you to graduate from elementary school, and I want you to move on to junior high. And after you get done with junior high, I want you to move on to high school. And after high school, I want you to move on, and either you get a job or you go into junior college or university, and you just keep going. Whatever God has for you, we keep advancing. And so he says, leaving the discussion of elementary principles, let us go on to perfection. Now, I mean, knows when the Bible says go on to perfection, we're not talking about flawlessness. We're not going on to perfection as in we don't have any flaws. We're going on to perfection. That word perfection means a completer, a finisher, or someone goes on to maturity. So he says, let's leave the basics, the discussion of the basic stuff, and let's go on to maturity. In other words... There's some things in our walk with God we need to progress towards if we're going to be mature and grow and develop everything that God has for us. Some things we have to establish in our lives and then stop talking about that over and over and over and move on to maturity. It's great to get those principles in our life, but at some point we got to move on. And that's what he's talking about. Let's leave the elementary principles of God, move on to maturity. And then he says in verse 3, this we will do if God permits. And if God permits, I think of it this way. Why would God ever not permit me from moving forward? It's like a building inspector. If you're building a building and you're laying the foundation, a building inspector would come, and their job is to inspect the strength of that foundation so they can determine whether it's safe for you to keep building. So a building inspector come out and the foundation is not solid or not right. They may give you a red card and say, "Sorry, I'm stopping this right here until you fix the foundation." The the building inspector is not doing that because he doesn't like you. He's doing it for your safety. Because when you get on about the second floor of your faulty foundation, what was supposed to be a blessing was going to end up being a damage to you because it's going to cause destruction. Same way in our walk with God. These basic principles, these basic elements, Jesus saying, I want to build on a solid foundation. And if you will not establish these basic principles, I can't take you on to maturity. Does that make sense? So let's look at one of the basic principles, one of the elementary principles of Christ. It says the doctrine of baptisms. We could talk about all of these basic elements, but I'm just doing this one for today's teaching sake. Not laying again the foundation, the doctrine of baptisms. No, it's plural. It's plural. So how many baptisms are there in the Bible? I'm going to submit to you today that there are three baptisms. Three baptisms that we're going to talk about. Do I need all three What's required of them? What order do they have to be in? Is there any requirement on the order? On the order, All three baptisms. So let's look at the first baptism. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. What is the first baptism that we need to talk about? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body... Being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now this is talking about the body of Christ, the family of God, the big church, capital C, all believers, followers of Jesus. The body of Christ is not an individual body like one church building. We're talking about the body of Christ as a whole. That one body has many members, there are many But it's one body, the one body of Christ. Can we say this? That no matter the denomination, any church that says we are followers of Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior of the world, we are part of one body. We are one family. So we're not trying to divide the church. We're trying to unify the church. We're not trying to separate and say one's better than the other. We're just teaching something that what God has for us. We're saying this is a body thing. So we're one body of Christ. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit, underline that, that's very important. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This is talking about salvation. This is talking about being born again by one spirit. In other words, the word baptismo or baptism is the word baptismo, which means to submerge or immerse. It means to cleanse. And so this is the word it's talking about when you're baptized to wash or purify, to make overwhelmed. You see that there in your notes. So in this baptism, we're talking about the first one. The Holy Spirit is doing the baptism. By one spirit, that's the subject, the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, (laughs) sorry. I'm still in elementary school wanting to graduate to junior high vocally. But by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So notice, at salvation, this is what happens. At salvation, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) when we're born again, the salvation that we experience, some people say this, well, isn't the Holy Spirit active in salvation when I get born again? Didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I got born again? The Holy Spirit is very active when we got born again. The Holy Spirit's job, according to Titus chapter 3, and I don't have time to teach it, but you can write that down and go over there, the Holy Spirit regenerates our dead spirit before we get born again. Our spirit is dead to God because of sin. No matter whether you've done anything bad or not, your spirit is dead. We all need to be born again. And when we are born again, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into us and regenerates our dead spirit and immerses our dead spirit completely into Jesus so that we are born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. He's the baptizer. He immerses us into Jesus. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit is there. He's the one saying, hey, your spirit was dead. Boom, I'm going to immerse you into the body of Christ. I'm going to immerse you into the power of him. Now this baptism is the only baptism we need in order to be saved. The first one. And this is the only baptism we're going to talk about that takes priority as far as order. We, the, the next two, they can be mixed and matched on the order. But we must be born again first. Yes. We have to be made new because our spirit's dead. The only way we're going to get the things of God is if we get born again. John chapter 3 talks about that. So anyway, this baptism, the only one we need to be born again in, in, uh, in the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice they didn't take the thief off the cross and baptize him in water and then put him up on the cross. So you don't need water baptism in order to be born again. And we'll talk about that. That's going to be the second baptism. But I just want you to understand that this first baptism is all we need to get to heaven. We don't need any other baptism. Some people will pry, try and teach to you that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to go to heaven, that you have to speak in tongues before you can go to heaven. That's not true. The only thing that we need to be to get to heaven to be born again is we need the baptism into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's all you need. Now, it's the only baptism we need to go to heaven, but is it the only baptism we need to go on to maturity? That's the question. So now let's look at the second baptism. Well, let me give you this first because uh, some people need to address this. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 uh, says, well, I'll get this in the second baptism. Sorry, we'll come back to that. Uh, look at the second one. Getting out of order here, but I, but I, I want to do this in the right way. So in the first baptism, let me make sure and summarize this. Who's doing the baptizing in the first baptism? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's baptizing us into who? Into Jesus, into the body of Christ. Clear? Let's go into the second one. Second baptism, go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, let your fingers do the walking through your Bible so you know I'm not making it up and I didn't just put random words on the screen. Matthew 28, verse 19, this is Jesus talking, it's in the red, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is the second baptism, this is baptism into water. This is what we just experienced today. We had water baptisms today and it was phenomenal. People had made a commitment to Christ. That's why I asked them before water baptism, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? They said yes. Why? Because that step is necessary before you do the second one. Can't be water baptized if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've not been born again. It's pointless. Why? Because the second baptism, notice what it is. The first one was the Holy Spirit. Now who's doing the baptizing in the second one? I'm going to pull up John chapter 4. First one, we're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The second, we're baptized into water. And who's doing the baptizing? Verse 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Now notice, who's doing the baptizing in water baptism? People are. The disciples are. Notice Jesus himself did not even baptize anybody. Why is that? Because he didn't want anyone being attached to him. Like, no, no, no. I don't, I, no, I can't have anybody baptize me but Jesus. Jesus said, "I'm not baptizing anybody because I want you to understand this." And man, you need to get this water baptism. The emphasis in water baptism is about the one going in the water, not the one who's putting him in the water. Come on now. That's good. Yeah. The one putting him under is not making the commitment. The one going under the water is the one making the commitment. So the emphasis is not on which disciple baptized me. I just want Peter to baptize me. It's not about them. It's just people, men or women can water baptize. We're going going into water. This is a physical fleshly thing, a physical realm. So water baptism, the significance of water baptism is not just an outward demonstration of an inward work. I believe there is something very significant about water baptism. And here's what I believe it is. When you're water baptized, in Colossians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 6, it talks about that we identify with Jesus' burial, burial, and he's raised. We're identified with his resurrection, and we walk in newness of life. If you take someone under the water and you hold them long enough, what happens to them? They die. But if you raise them up, they live. So when you go under the water, it's saying, my old life is dying. It's a cutting of the flesh. Water is a physical realm thing. So what I'm going down is I'm crucifying, I'm cutting the flesh off of my life, and I'm raised to newness of life. So when you hold someone down long enough, they die. We don't hold people down that long. You know, we just... (laughs) Some people might need a little bit longer. But most of the time, (laughs) as soon as... Just kidding. (laughs) You know, we see a couple bubbles. We'll bring you right back up. We, We... But it's a physical thing, a physical realm thing, so it's connecting to this physical realm, my flesh, that I'm putting it to death and I'm raised to newness of life. So the second baptism is very important. I don't want to minimize the significance of water baptism. It is very important, but that is not needed for me to be born again. Because it is a fleshly, physical work that I do. And there is no physical work that I can do that makes me righteous. The Bible says that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It doesn't say he was water baptized and accounted him for righteousness. I'm all for water baptism. We do it. We want you to be born again. Then we want you to go on to maturity. We want you to put your old life to death. And we want you to raise, to walk in newness of life. The power of water baptism. But you do not need it to go to heaven. Mark 16, 16, this is a scripture I was going to give you a while ago. It says this, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And some people said, see, right there, if you believe and you're water baptized, you'll be saved. To say someone believed and baptized is saved, that's a true statement. It's absolutely a true statement. But read the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says, and he who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say he who does not believe or is not water baptized will be condemned. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. It doesn't say anything about water baptism, and it doesn't say anything about baptism in the Holy Spirit. It says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. So you understand that the only baptism we need to be born again is the baptism by the Holy Spirit, Spirit Spirit into the body of Christ. You tracking? But we need the second and the third to go into maturity. Now, there is there any order on the second and third? No. I'll say this right out of the gate. Some people have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit right after being born again before they could even get to water. You'll see a biblical example of that in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius received the uh, the word of God from Peter he believed the bible says he believed and then all of a sudden they received the holy spirit and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy and then they got water baptized so there's no order on the second and third but there are three so now in the second one we got that we're being water baptized it's a physical act of flesh let's go to the third this is one that may be new to some people let's look at Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 first baptism By the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, spiritual work, supernatural work. Second, baptism by people into water, cutting or burying of the flesh, raised to newness of life. Third baptism, let's look at it, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist talking. Called him John the Baptist not because of his denomination, but because he baptized people. It was really called John the baptizer, So we're talking about this from from that standpoint. I indeed baptize you with water, this is John speaking, unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. First subject, who's doing the baptism? Holy Spirit. Second one, people. Third one, who's doing the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and fire. So if you love Jesus, you need to trust him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's not some denomination doesn't baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Some certain churches don't baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who immerses you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who does the work. He's the one that you're looking to to trust. You don't look like, well, do I trust that church? I don't know, those those kind of churches. It's not about those churches. It's about Jesus. Do I trust Jesus to immerse me in something that's going to help me? Yes, you need to trust what Jesus wants to do in your life. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So now, if we know that the Holy Spirit was baptizing in the first example people are baptizing in the second one, and Jesus is baptizing in the third. There's no way they could be the same, they have different subjects. There's a distinction between baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism into the body of Christ, being born again. They have different subjects. Now they can happen right at the same time, but they are different, significant things happening by different parts of the Trinity. So I need to embrace what the Holy Spirit wants to do in immersing me into the body of Christ. But see, Jesus says it this way. He says, listen, hey, you trust that the Holy Spirit brought you into the body of Christ, but now I want you to trust me that I want to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I've got that for you. The Holy Spirit and Jesus love each other, and God the Father only wants us to have everything that the Trinity wants us to have. He wants us to experience it all. So it's like a love affair between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells us, you need all of Jesus. You need all of his righteousness, all of his grace, all of his love, all of his mercy. You need to be immersed in everything that Jesus has to give you. And Jesus says, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's awesome. But they also need all of you. They need all of your power. They need all of your gifts. They need all of your fruit. So there's wanting to immerse us both into the fullness of what God wants you to experience. He said, I want you to give you everything. Jesus said, thank you for receiving my redemption and forgiveness of sin. Thank you. That's awesome. Now let me show you what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. I want to immerse you in him. That's the process of the third baptism. We get immersed in Jesus. We need his power. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, why do we get immersed in the Holy Spirit? Because we need his power. Yes. Who doesn't need the power of God in their life? It's not attached, again, to a name on the door, a denominational, or, or a certain type of belief system. It's just we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, let me, let me validate it this way. All three baptisms, are they in all four of the Gospels? We just read in Matthew chapter 3 where John the Baptist said, you know, I baptize you with water under repentance, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Is it in all four of the Gospels? Because understand this, biblical studies will tell you very few things are listed in all four of the Gospels. If they're in all four of the Gospels, they are very important. So let's look I'm going to give you some of Mark chapter 1 verse 8 says I indeed baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit Luke 3, 16, John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in John, the fourth example in the gospel, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Who does the baptizing of the Holy Spirit? It is Jesus. He's wanting to baptize us, and all four of the Gospels testify to this. You say, well, you know, maybe they just copied off each other. You know, like Luke was asking Matthew, "Say, hey, did you put that in there about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Then I'm going to put that in my Gospel too because I like the way you said that. No, these were different letters written at different times inspired by the Holy Spirit said, hey, this is important. Put that in there that Jesus wants to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. So it's it's something we have to see, the importance of what what it's talking about. So all four Gospels talks about this. The last words of Jesus, let me give you these. Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What did he tell the disciples? Before he ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. You need to remember that phrase. Because some people say, "I really don't need all that stuff. That's I've got all I need in, in Jesus. No, you don't have everything you need because Jesus is the one who's saying, "I want to give you more." Jesus is the one who said to them, "Go and wait in the city of Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. I want to do something for you. I want to give you something extra. Acts chapter one, verse four and five. He says it this way again. Jesus is talking to them. Here's what he says in Acts chapter one, verse four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded. Everybody say, "Commanded." That's strong language. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So now we see. He says, "I want you to go and wait." John baptized with water. That's awesome. You need that. But I want you to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit because you need the power that's going to come. There's some things, disciples, that you're going to face in this world. And you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out everything that I've redeemed you from. That's why he's wanting to get it. So now we see it. Let's go to another example of all three uh, baptisms. Go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to show you all three baptisms. In literal sense, in three different locations, so you can understand that this is again not something taken out of context. And again, for those that say, "Well, I've already, I already know about baptism in the Holy Spirit," you need a refresher on on receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about about events. I'm going to sidetrack for just a moment. Too many times in our relationship with God, we get we make a big deal about events and we forget relationship. We forget ongoing development. Ongoing. It's not about I, I received the Holy Spirit on this day and that year. It's about is He filling me today? Am I fresh today? It's not an event that I put on the calendar and say, "Yes, in nineteen ninety five, I received the Holy Spirit. That's great. Did you receive Him this morning? Come on, yeah. Come on. I, I, I don't know. I did back. Yeah, but is He? Are you full today? We could go through the book of Acts and see how the same people were filled with the Holy Spirit more than once. Because it's not about an event, it's about an ongoing refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 37. Peter had just finished preaching to them about Jesus, about the Messiah, about how he came to save the world from their sins and that they would crucified him. Look what they said in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Conviction came. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? This is an open-ended question. What shall we do? This is different from the question that was asked by the Philippian jailer to Paul and Silas. In, In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, you'll see how the Philippian jailer came to them, and they had just sang. They were worshiping God, and the power of God came in in the jail. And he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? In Acts chapter 2, they just said, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 16, notice the answer. What must I do to be saved, to be born again? So they said in verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What do you need to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about water baptism. It doesn't say anything about baptism in the Holy Spirit. What do, we need to be new to, what do we need to do to be born again? We need, to be, we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the first baptism. Baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. But to go on to maturity, look what they said in Acts chapter 2. They just said, what shall we do? They didn't say, what shall we do to be saved? They just asked, what shall we do? So Peter said, hey, I'll give them the whole ball of wax. So here's his response in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent, first baptism, believe. Repent, change your life, let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice, but repent, be baptized, and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All three baptisms right there. He was telling them this importance. Because look verse 39. For the promise, again, the word promise, we just talked about that, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1. The promise is to you and to your children. Now, wait a minute. This is going to debunk some teaching. Some people will teach that the power of the Holy Spirit was only for the early church, was only for the 12 disciples. Well, we went past the 12 already because there was 120 people in the upper room. So we're already past the 12. And now he says this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children. So now it's not just for the early church. And it goes on to say, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now it's not just for a certain denomination, not for just a certain church, just a certain group of people. This promise is to you and to whosoever wants to receive everything that God has for them. So it was not like a rocket ship. The gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit was not like a rocket that launched the church in the beginning and then it fell off because we didn't need it anymore. Some people have taught we needed the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit until we had the canon of the Bible. And now that we have the Bible, we don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere in the Bible where it teaches that the Holy Spirit fell off and stopped working. It's to you and your children and to all who are far off. The Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit is not limited to a name on a church. It's in the Bible for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved, can be water baptized, and can be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive the power of God. That's one example. Let me go to the second one. Go to Acts chapter 8. I just want to get all this into you. I know there's going to be a lot of scriptures today, but I want to validate what God wants to do in your life today. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. A good old message about Jesus being born again. About Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. About redemption and salvation being through Jesus. He preached Christ to them, which is great, it's awesome. Look in verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now they believed Philip. When they believe, what happens when you believe? If you believe, then now you're receiving. Now you become born again. Not believe like I mental assent believe. This is talking about they believed Philip. So they became born again. So this is first baptism. Then concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. This is water baptism. This is the second one. So see, they were born again. They believed. And then they were water baptized. And then jump to verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. How did they receive the Word of God? They believed. So they got born again. Notice what happened. Track the process. They received the Word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. What does this mean? They sent Peter and John so that they might receive the Holy Spirit but they've already believed and been water baptized why would they need to receive the Holy Spirit if you received everything when you got born again because there's a work beyond salvation where again the Holy Spirit immersed them into the body of Christ and then Jesus said I want to immerse you into the power of the Holy Spirit so Peter and John prayed for them and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because it says the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of them but yet they believed the word of God, received the word of God, and been water baptized. But the Holy Spirit had not descended and remained on them yet. The Holy Spirit had done his work of Titus chapter 3. He'd regenerated their spirit. Their spirit was dead. Now it's alive. But the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. Jesus had not immersed them yet in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Philip did not preach that to him. He just preached Christ to them. Last example, Acts chapter 19, and we'll stop here. We've got like three others, but we don't have time for it. Acts chapter 19, look at verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Who did he find? He found disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are followers of Jesus. You don't call people disciples that are not already followers of Jesus. These are people that already believed. They've already been born again. They're already a disciple. And look what his first question was to them when he found disciples. Found people, say, Yes, we're followers of Jesus. Yes, we are. Look at his first question. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What a strange question if they've already been born again. Why would you ask me if I already if I received the Holy Spirit when I believed? Because when I believed, in other words, they've already believed they've already been born again. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you've been born again? If there wasn't something else for them, why would he ask that question? Maybe they were like me and they never heard a sermon like this. They never heard it taught because look at their answer. They said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We've never heard a message on the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about, Holy Spirit? So then that got Paul's brain wondering what what kind of experience did they have with God? So he asked them this question. He said to them, Into what then were you baptized? Like uh, what kind of experience, what kind of teaching have you heard? Because they not heard about the Holy Spirit. And they said, into John's baptism. And that answered Peter's or Paul's question. Look at verse 4. Then Paul said, Ah, okay, I got you. John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to believe, uh, sorry, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So that is the baptism of John, the repentance of sin, believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We received that. That's good. But notice what he says. But when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Third baptism. They believed, were water baptized, and Paul asked them, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. I'll tell you an experience I had one time. And I pray this, you know, this probably won't happen to you. It was in 2005. I was in Texas. And I'm at this conference. And I've been a believer for a long time and and, uh, received the Holy Spirit and all that. And uh, someone introduced me to this older gentleman. And he comes up to me and and, uh, I say, how you doing? My name's Chad. And he says... Are you a believer? Awkward. Usually I tell you my name, you tell me your name. That's how this whole interaction goes. But I said, hi, my name's Chad. And he said, hey, are you a believer? Uh, yes, sir. You received the Holy Spirit? Yes, sir. Let me hear you. Awkward. Awkward. I'm like, excuse me? Let me hear you. He was wanting me to pray in the spirit to validate that I'd received the Holy Spirit. That was a little awkward for me. I said, okay. So I just started to pray in the Spirit. He said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, you got it. That's good. (laughs) I say that to say, this is similar to what Paul asked the disciples at Ephesus. You're born again. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't think that you have to speak in tongues to validate and prove, but we'll get into that next week. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues. We're going to talk about what it means to speak in tongues, when to speak in tongues, why we speak in tongues. Is there a right time to do it, a wrong time to do it? We're going to break it down from a biblical standpoint. So if you've never heard a message on praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, come next week. But I want you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says this. Jesus said this in Luke. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some people are afraid to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me put it this way. Some people don't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're too busy looking for an outward sensation. They're wanting to feel something, something to happen, so they discredit. How did they receive the Holy Spirit? How, let me ask you this way. How did you receive salvation from Jesus? You received it by faith. You believed. You didn't change colors. You, know, you didn't start floating in air. You prayed and you believed. And you just said, thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. By faith, you were saved through, by grace through faith. So you're saved by faith. Same way on how we receive the Holy Spirit. Some people have trouble receiving the Holy Spirit because they won't do it simply through faith. They want a certain sensation. The other part, and this was my deal, some people are afraid a message like this and receiving baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid they might receive a sensation. They've seen other people and they're like, I don't want that. I was praying for someone one time and they had a an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it was demonstrative on their body, and it's awesome, fantastic. So I went to pray for this other person, and I said, uh, "Hey, did you come up to receive?" They said, "Not that." <laughs> I said, "Listen, listen, before you discredit what God wants to you to do in your life based on what you saw in their life, you make sure you receive God based on what He wants to do in your heart." You leave the sensation and the demonstration to the Holy Spirit. And don't be limited by what happens in someone else's life.